an all-orange edition of the Volunteer State. Tennessee is in the Orange Bowl where the Vols will play Clemson on December 30th. Miami Gardens, I'm Blake Topmeyer, alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, Adam Sparks and John Adams. As there was suspense going into conference championship weekend, as far as Tennessee was concerned, not really for the playoff. I, I think most fans realize going into conference championship weekend, Tennessee was not going to make the playoff. However, story emerged last week. Kirk Herbstreet talked about it on the ranking show that there was a chance if Ohio State did not make the playoff that Ohio State would go to the Orange Bowl instead of the Rose Bowl and Tennessee would tumble down to the Cotton Bowl. Well, everything worked out for Tennessee. Southern Cal lost, so Ohio State goes to the playoff and Tennessee's in the Orange Bowl gets, I think, what should be a pretty compelling matchup for fans, uh, Tennessee against Clemson, pair of two lost teams. What do you think about this This destination spot for for this season for Tennessee going to the Orange Bowl and facing Clemson yeah I mean I think in this era of college football you're trying to look for whether or not a bowl game seems relevant or not you know 20 years ago most bowls seemed relevant now I think it's a pretty short list this one seems relevant uh and fun um you know, it, uh, the the orange theme, we can kind of roll our eyes at it, but that, I think it's pretty cool. Orange Bowl and two orange teams. I think it's two name brand teams. It's teams from neighboring conferences and uh, neighboring states, uh, despite not being in the same conference. Um, you, you know, you get Dabo Sweeney against against Tennessee. There's some there's some history there. Um, you know, I mean, uh you know, you're, you're, you're flying down to Miami right after Christmas, which, you know, that that's good, too. Um, I, I mean, I like it. I, I mean, I there were a few scenarios uh, that Tennessee was going to end up in the right in the sugar or the orange and the, or the cotton. I think if you just took all the other outside stuff out of it and said, where do you want to be? The orange versus Clemson is where you wanted to be. And I think sometimes Tennessee fans get a little distracted by all this other stuff and not looking at their own team. Um, you know, the especially the Alabama factor of it. You know, the fact that Alabama is ahead of Tennessee. I mean, I had this discussion within my own household, as, as, I, as I typically do, you know, where I said, don't you want to be in the Orange Bowl against Clemson? Isn't that where you prefer to be? And yeah, it is. But you don't want Alabama to get what they want. You don't want Alabama to be ahead of you. I think a lot of times SEC fans do this where it matters more about poking it to the opponent than it does getting what you want. And I think that was a little bit of the case here. You wanted Alabama to be in front of you and go to the sugar if you were going to the orange. But there's this pride factor that uh, there should be justice in this and and Alabama should be behind Tennessee. Um, So it really depends on if you can narrow your focus to what you want the most and what Tennessee would want the most is to go to the Orange Bowl against Clemson, and that's what it turned out being. Yeah, I was watching the uh, conference championship games with a couple of Alabama fans, and they were giving a very compelling argument why Alabama should be in the college football playoff. I think most fans can find a reason why their team should be there. I just tried to ignore it all and watch the games. Uh, I just don't think Tennessee could have come out of this in a better spot. Going into November, you know, I had a great shot at the college football playoff. 
But once it lost that, I think this was the best outcome Tennessee could have. And I really like the fact, as, as Adam pointed out, playing a name brand. This game means more to Tennessee than it does Clemson. So I give the uh, emotional edge to the Vols because Clemson has been a an elite team while Tennessee has kind of been muddling in mediocrity. So uh, I think it's every – you always look in bowl games – which team should be the most motivated? And I think it's a big factor in the outcome of these games. And I think for Tennessee, playing Clemson, it's a great incentive to be at its best. So I just think this worked out great for Tennessee. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I'd, I'd heard from a, a Tennessee fan after the rankings and the bowl selections and that said exactly what you're saying, Adam, that Tennessee should be ranked ahead of Alabama and therefore going to the Sugar Bowl, and I, and I don't have an argument with that. I think um, I think we all agree Tennessee won the head-to-head, so Tennessee should be ranked ahead of Alabama. That being said, I do think that this, this matchup for Tennessee playing Clemson in the Orange Bowl, it's probably a better opportunity than what the Sugar Bowl would be this year, regardless of the fact that Kansas State's a very good, good program this year, won the Big 12 championship. I just think there's going to be more sizzle playing Clemson. As John said, this is a program that's been, other than Alabama, you know, you look back over the last decade, and Clemson's been functioning at the highest level in, in the country for for a you know extended period of time. Uh, aside from from Alabama, so this is a big opportunity. You're also playing in prime time. If you're in the Sugar Bowl, you're playing a, a noon kickoff as as the appetizer to the semifinal games. That's not usually the way the Sugar Bowl is. Sugar Bowl is usually, you know, on January first night game. Uh, but the NFL is that day. So this year would have been a, a noon kickoff in the Sugar Bowl uh, on the same day as the semifinals. I, I think this is I think this works better for Tennessee. I think this is um, you know where you would have wanted your season to end, if not for the college football playoff. And by the way, Blake, I, I, I think it's important too to say this is two for two for bowls at least moving the needle a little bit under Josh Hopple. Last year was under smaller circumstances. I understand that, but it was it was in Nashville. There was interest there. It was finishing the year of when the program is starting to get back to a a, com, a competitive level. So getting to a bowl and playing in a bowl gets a Big Ten team last year. You know, mattered some. Th- this year it matters more because the team is better and the program is better. And this is a near six bowl. You know, the difficult thing, the challenge will be is that you have to sort of ratchet that up each year. This is two for two where bowls have seemed to matter within that year. Next year, you know, you'd have to get back to at least a Florida Bowl or maybe a New Year's Six Bowl or the playoff, which I don't think that latter one is, is going to happen. But um, it's a it's an upward trajectory. You just have to sort of maintain it as best you can. When you go back at how Clemson started its rise to stardom, uh, under Dabo Swinney, it started out, he was six and seven in his second year. So, uh, Josh Heupel, I, I, mean, I think we're pretty close to it. So, it's it's easier to forget about it, but just how far this program has come in only two seasons under Josh Heupel, you look at what the starting point was about as low as Tennessee's ever been three and seven in 2020 under. Jeremy Pruitt, Pruitt and his uh, cast of characters, babysitter, wife, all giving their all for Tennessee, trying to get better caliber player in here, and it didn't work out. But, uh, yeah, those uh, to go from that 
and the brink of NCAA probation to go from all that to where Tennessee is now, it's, it's a very fast rise. And what's interesting guys is if you would have drawn up this matchup several weeks ago, it would have looked like Clemson would have been playing quarterback DJU. I've never really tried to pronounce his last name, which reflects worse on me than it does on him. He's not responsible for his last name, but, uh, Working, work, work in the written words. So, uh, other than this podcast, so I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. DJU was the quarterback for Clemson up until the ACC championship game, and then finally Dabo did what he should have done probably several weeks ago. He turned to the youngster Cade Klubnick, who came in against North Carolina, lit up a poor North Carolina defense. The North Carolina's defense was not how it got to the ACC championship game. It was pretty bad all year. And, and Cade Klubnick took advantage of that. Um, threw for almost 300 yards, looked much better. The offense did than what it had been functioning under, under DJU. So the baton seems to have been passed here at, at Clemson's quarterback position. How does that shape the matchup for you guys? I mean, I think either way, these teams could be playing their quarterback of the future now, right? I mean, Joe Milton could be the guy at Tennessee going forward, and I think Cade Klubnick for Clemson very much looks like the guy for the Tigers going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna that's going to be the background of this game, really the foreground of the, this game by the time we get to the broadcast of it. Um, it it's just going to be a, a little different. Um, Cade Klubnick, and we will see this throughout that game, there's going to be all this, this talk of, you know, the – Kate Klubnick era has started at Clemson and what can they do next year? If he, if he plays well at all, there'll be, you know, comparisons to Trevor Lawrence and all these sort of things. And I mean, he was the number one rated quarterback in, in the, in the country in the class last year. So he is a, he is a five-star blue chip, um, you know, take over the program and he's your guy um, type of quarterback. Joe Milton, it's a little different because, um, Joe Milton, you can go in a lot of different directions. Klubnik uh, is the guy, and he's going to be the guy. Joe Milton could be the starter for one year, and he could show that in the game. Joe Milton could be a placeholder uh, for Nico when he gets here. Joe Milton could be a guy who's okay in the bowl game and could be fighting a guy from the transfer portal in the spring for the starting job. There, there's, you know, there's three or four different paths that Joe Milton could go in. It's, I think his is a little more up in the air. Um, Club Nick, I think, is going to be the guy regardless. I mean, unless he, you know, throws four picks in this game and he's terrible, maybe you have a little bit more questions. But I th- Club Nick is Clemson's guy. I think Joe Milton is a little more up in the air. And that also adds a little bit of excitement, I think, to the bowl game on the Tennessee side, for better or worse, because, you know, your impression of Joe Milton will be – cemented for most people i think going leaving this season and how he plays in the bowl game yeah i'm, I'm kind of surprised that uh dabo didn't make this uh, change sooner if you go back to trevor lawrence he made it in midstream and things really worked out but uh he didn't do that and he had an opportunity because he replaced dju i'll use uh Blake's model on that pronunciation. I'm grateful for all this because I had to write his name yesterday in my column and I'm looking over there and I'm making sure every letter is correct because none of it really makes sense to me. A lot of vowels. Yeah. Nothing against the man's name, 
but I don't want to have to be writing it. So I will try to avoid writing it again. Um, but I think, you know, if Dabo would have made that move earlier, he put him in there against Syracuse. Um, Clemson got off to a horrible start. He put, uh, put him in Klubnik in and he wins the game. I thought that would be a perfect spot for a switch. Didn't make it go back to what Josh Heupel did last year. He made a mistake in picking Joe Milton to start the season as his number one quarterback. Two games in, he said, no, we got to fix this. So the moral of the story is if you think you've got the wrong quarterback, make the switch right away. The sooner the better. But I think that adds a lot of interest uh, for both teams. I mean, Clemson fans are, you're right. Uh, this is a, kind of the beginning of a new era and a preview of what Clemson could become. Uh, and for Tennessee, we just don't know. Uh, Joe Milton kind of, kind of got mixed reviews in the Vanderbilt start. I thought I, I, I wasn't as critical of him because of, he's throwing in a range, so I don't know. But he overthrows a few guys on the deep ball, and you get bad memories from last season. So there's real uncertainty aware about where Tennessee's quarterback situation is headed. And all of that could be resolved if Joe Milton plays well against Clemson. And this matchup, Clemson, the, the strength of their team is is their defense. You know, we mentioned they've they've passed the baton at quarterback, but nonetheless, Clemson's defense uh, is what got them to this point as ACC champions. Of course, we know it's the opposite of that for Tennessee. Clemson coming off of a game in the ACC championship where it went up against North Carolina and Drake May, their fantastic quarterback. Uh, who had gone into that ACC championship as as sort of a uh, uh, a guy that was getting a lot of Heisman buzz, honestly. Now, uh, you know, coming out of that, that uh, that looked a little bit different for Drake May because he he threw a couple interceptions against Clemson, had one of his poorer games of the season. Now, Clemson's defense has not been impenetrable uh, in in losses against South Carolina and Notre Dame. It allowed over thirty points in those games, but. Overall, this is a top 20 defense. Um, interestingly, even had Tennessee gone to the Sugar Bowl and faced Kansas State, would have been a similar story. The defense is the backbone of Kansas State's team. But how concerning is that, do you think, for Tennessee for this matchup, the fact that it's going up against um, you know, one of the top 20 defenses in, in the country? Uh, or is that something that you think Tennessee should like and say, hey, um, our offense can can go up against almost any defense, maybe maybe save Georgia. Uh, so if that's the strength of Clemson, that's fine because Tennessee's strength uh, supersedes that. It puts pressure on Joe Milton because um, you know if you look back at the Vanderbilt game, he had a he had a he had a run, rushing attack that he could just lean on. I mean, uh, between the three running backs for Tennessee, they rushed for almost 400 yards against Vandy. Uh, Joe Milton had to turn around and hand the ball off for most of that game. He's not going to have that to lean on um, in this game. It's going to be, um, you know, it, it's going to be a good front seven for Clemson. This is a top 10 rushing defense. Uh, this is a defense that's number two in the country in tackles for loss. Uh, Clemson, if you're running the ball on, on first and second down, Clemson can stuff you and put you in third and long. And, and so Tennessee's going to have to counter that in play calling. Tennessee's going to have to counter that in, um, you know, good, efficient passing uh, by, by Joe Milton. Um, I, 
you know, for all that we always talk about uh, Joe Milton with the uh, with the deep balls and all that, that he misses some of those, that that'll obviously come into play, especially if if Clemson is trying to stop the run. You're going to have some opportunities downfield, um, but Joe Milton just has to be efficient in terms of his decision making. I think one of the things with Hendon Hooker that we always I, I think underrate and almost take for granted is that he didn't throw picks. So he just wasn't ruining drives. You never looked at Hendon Hooker and said, well, he's going to mess things up. You got the ball, you were going to move the ball um, because he wasn't going to give it to the other team. Joe Milton has been pretty good about that too. I mean, I think it's was it like six touchdowns, no picks, something like that. Even when he was the starter for the short time uh, last season, he wasn't throwing picks. If he can just do that and be efficient – and not throw interceptions, the, then then I think Tennessee is going to be at least efficient enough on, on offense to put up some points. I mean, well, a lot of things will change depending on who opts out of this game and, and those sort of things. But I, I think this is this game's got like 38-34 written all over it. I think fairly high-scoring game, a back and forth. It could even get, get up into the 40s because bowl games do, do that a lot. Yeah, I don't think too many DBs want to try catching Joe Joe Milton's passes. They don't want to come out of the game with a broken hand. So I think that probably arm strength probably helps him. I was thinking Clemson's defense, it's not as good as George's, but the front seven, as Adam pointed out, is formidable. And it kind of reminds me of Pittsburgh. If you go back to that early season game for Tennessee, really good front four uh, with the reserves. It got a couple of guys hurt, but the subs came in and played well. Uh, so probably, I, I think it's close to being this as good a front seven as Tennessee's faced other other than Georgia. I think uh, Tennessee should be more concerned if it had Georgia's defensive backfield and had those cornerbacks who can do press man coverage, and, and that certainly had a negative impact on Tennessee. So uh, I'll be curious to see these this defensive front for Clemson. I mean, these guys are off to the NFL. And I wonder if they might opt out. As I remember last year, I don't think Clemson had anybody opt out for the game, for its bowl game. And uh, I wonder if that'll be the case this year. But I think that could have a huge impact on the game if some members of Clemson's um, defensive front decide, yeah, we need to get on with our NFL careers and opt out of this game. Yeah, one one of the other subplots of this game Guys, you, you mentioned opt-outs, and it made me think of a, of a coach who's not going to be there. We, we learned over the weekend Alex Golish uh, got hired by South Florida, Tennessee's offensive coordinator, departing to become South Florida's head coach. I think this is a natural opportunity for a guy who's, who's obviously had a, had a hand in Tennessee's offensive success the last couple of years. Anytime you're doing something that's giving opponents as much trouble as what Tennessee's offense has, there's going to be a program that says, hey, we want access to whatever is going on there. I mean, obviously, you know, Josh Heupel has big hand in Tennessee's operation of its offense. Hendon Hooker had had a lot to do with the success on offense as well. But, um, you know, anytime a scheme or a system is working that well, you're going to see another program, uh, particularly, I think, from the group of five ranks, say, hey, we want to get that coordinator in here who who knows how to operate that that system and see if we can do that there. So, Alex Golish, I think a, a deserved opportunity. He's going to be the, the coach at South Florida and will not be coaching in this game. How do we think that affects Tennessee? 
And uh, Adam, I know you you spoke with uh, Josh Heupel. What do, do you have any early tea leave readings? I guess in in the direction Tennessee might go with this opening on its staff. Yeah, I mean he he, he didn't say because it's, it's happened so quickly. Josh Heupel didn't. Um, I mean the the obvious uh, fill in in the short term would be Joey Halsley, uh, the the quarterbacks coach. Long term, that may be the easy fill in. I mean, you've got to think think about what's on your staff. If Joey Halsley, who's the quarterbacks coach, becomes the OC, um, then you you go and get a, a tight ends coach, which is not hard to find. You probably go get one that's a really really good recruiter, is what you would do. Um, if it's not Halsley, then you go get uh, you go get an OC with uh, with a background with Hopal. You know, uh, Lebby would be the obvious choice, I guess, at Oklahoma. But there, there's a few others out there that have worked with him at Oklahoma and Missouri uh, at Central Florida. I mean, it, it's always it's an odd fit, um, or maybe it's not an odd fit. It's it's a smaller pool because whoever you bring in is going to be collaborating with Josh Hoppel on the offense. I mean, I've asked it numerous times about who calls the plays, and then I've asked on background who calls the plays uh, for Tennessee, and I've gotten answers like, "Well, it's seventy thirty. Well, seventy thirty, which way? Um, I've gotten well, it's seventy. Hypo and 30 goalish and then i've had people say it's 70 30 goalish hypo <laughs> so uh I've, you know I've, I've gotten things that uh well goalish calls all the red zone stuff and he he calls more of the third down stuff uh, the easy way to say it is jo- is josh hopple's offense and if he trusts the guy enough he will give a higher percentage or more um more responsibilities within the offense, especially the design of it. Uh, if he trusts them, he trusts Joey Halsley. Um, Joey Halsley would work with him fine in a collaboration again, which he already had a part in. The question I would have with Halsley long-term, if he's the OC is, uh, you know, his, his pluses are that he's been with Josh Hopple for a long time. He was with him at central Florida. Um, he was with him at Missouri before that at Utah State and at Oklahoma. He played for him at Oklahoma. He was a quarterback for, for Josh Hopple. So Joey Halsley has spent his entire career with Josh Hopple. Uh, that's a plus in terms of familiarity. Is that a negative? Because if he's been with him that long and he hasn't hasn't been that guy yet, why has he not been that guy? Maybe he just wasn't ready yet. So he's the obvious choice. We'll see what they do long-term, though. But Josh Hopple has to think about other things on the staff to, to decide that. Short term, I think Halsley helps out some. Maybe he's up in the booth for the game. We'll find out here probably in the next week or so, uh, whenever he decides that. In terms of on the road, uh, he'll designate an analyst or somebody to be their uh, to be their tenth assistant, their countable assistant uh, in recruiting. It's not so much uh, about going and trying to get guys in this class. This class is is uh, is pretty much done. Signing signing period uh, is uh, December twenty first, so it's coming. It's more about just retaining people to make sure nobody starts thinking twice about coming just because Alex Golish is not here. Um, I, I think they'll, they'll keep the class intact though. I don't think it'll be that, that big of a deal. And Alex Golish, you, you know, you strike while the iron's hot, you're never going to be better than number one in the country on offense. And that's what they've been the entire season. He had a chance. He may not have that chance next year or the year after that. Uh, these windows can open quickly and close quickly. And he, he got a, it, that's an okay job. I don't know what South Florida's NIL situation is. It, it is a group of five team, but it's in Florida. You can recruit there. Um, they've been bad the last three years under Jeff Scott, but 
they had a couple 10 win seasons under like what Charlie Strong, Jim Levitt was a really good coach there uh, for a long time. Skip Holtz was there. He, he did fine. Um, they've had some success at South Florida. And so that's, that's not a terrible gig for, for Alex Gullish if he wanted to be a head coach. Yeah, I agree. It was a, it was a, the timing was right for Gullish. Um, I don't think Tennessee should be too concerned about how it, how its offense functions. As you said, um, this is Josh Heupel's offense. I mean, if it was taking a, a, an OC who ran the offense pretty much with autonomy, um, there could be a concern about breakdowns, but I think that's, that's the least of Tennessee's current concerns about how the offense would function. Josh Heupel has a successful history as an offensive coordinator, so he'll probably just be more involved in the play calling. And, and I, I kind of think he was, I kind of go with that 70, 30 thing that, that Adam said first, 70% Heupel and then 30% Golish, but I could be wrong on that, but he's been doing this a long time. So I think Tennessee's offense is in good shape from that standpoint. It was interesting guys. Uh, it's, it reminds me of a situation, uh, over the summer, when I was down at Ole Miss working on a, a story there and, and Ole Miss uh, had to replace its its offensive coordinator, Jeff Levy, in the offseason, also had to replace its quarterback, Matt Corral, in the offseason. And I, and I asked the Ole Miss athletic director about losing their OC, Jeff Levy, and he basically said, Keith Carter, their, their AD down there, said, yeah, we'd like to have Jeff Levy back, but I think if you ask the, the guys in the staff room, they'd much rather have Matt Corral back for another season. And um, I kind of look at that, that that comment sort of about Tennessee's case here too, not, not to diminish the loss of Alex Golish. I mean, obviously he was an important piece of the staff for two years. Um, but point being, as long as Josh Heupel's still here, you can still run this offense um, with or without Alex Golish. The, the bigger loss for Tennessee um, in this game is is not having Hinton Hooker. You know, having Hinton Hooker, go out there against Clemson, um, I think changes the the complexion of this game. Might change the complexion of, of Tennessee's argument for the college football playoff. I still don't think it would have mattered ultimately in the end. Uh, but that's who you want out there for this game. If you could if you could uh, wave your magic wand and have one of those two guys back for, for one day, Alex Golish or Hinton Hooker, you want Hinton Hooker out there. But so be it. And in terms of how this, uh, the Alex Gullish leaving affects just the bowl game, uh, the, the time that we have between now and the bowl game, uh, what three plus weeks, uh, that, that, that helps a lot because the, a big thing with Alex Gullish, especially his philosophy was you get with your quarterback and you find out what he is comfortable with more than receivers, running backs, offensive line, put that aside. What does your quarterback like to throw to? What looks does he like? How does he feel comfortable in certain play calls and sequences? And Alex Gullish, Hendon Hooker, and Joey Halsley sort of had this triad of understanding that they knew exactly how Hendon Hooker wanted to play the game and what he liked best and what he didn't like. And what he didn't like was taken out of the playbook as much as possible. And they, they had a very short time to sort of transition to Joe Milton between the South Carolina game when Hooker was injured in the Vanderbilt game. They just had a week and they had to kind of just let's put it together and do their best. And now you have Golish out of the picture. So you have one less guy to sort of figure that out, but you have all this time now to say, let's for Joey Halsley, especially because Josh Hopple didn't have time for this as a head coach. Joey Halsley has to get with Joe Milton and say, what, what 
type of plays and looks as Joe Milton liked the most. And that's exactly what we're going to tweak the offense uh, to do. So if you get in the bowl game and Joe Milton looks uncomfortable, um, well, you had a long time to, to, to put that together. And so that'll give you a better read the bowl game than it would have uh, the, the Vanderbilt game. Adam is, is going to be down in, in Miami gardens for about five or six nights covering, doing, doing lead up coverage to the orange bowl. And then of course, covering the game, you'll be able to find all that on, on knoxnews.com. But I'm wondering, you know, I know you're a lover of, of the beach, John, and Tennessee last played in this game in, in January 1998, capping uh, the 97 season. How long were you down there, quote-unquote, covering the Orange Bowl? I wonder that. Were you down there for like two or three weeks, uh, just just soaking it up on the beach, <laughs> quote, covering the Orange Bowl? It don't don't be silly, Blake. I was I was only down there about ten days, I think. <laughs> only ten days. I, I think now with the, when I covered it, the last Super Bowl I covered uh, down there, I was there. Let's see, twelve days. Uh, South Beach, uh, nice beach down there. Uh, great scenery, in a lot of ways. And uh, then uh, some time in the Everglades. I counted. Uh, 105 uh, alligators on a 15-mile bike trail. 105 just hanging out. And, and this all played into your coverage of the Super Bowl, right? I mean, you, you expense well, this to the company, so I'm sure you, you made a passing reference to those gators in the Everglades. You couldn't have written that column without being down there, no no doubt, right? No, and I, I, I think uh, you can use everything as a columnist. Your travel, your experiences. I hope Adam has a good time down there. Yeah, the glory days of newspapers are not what they they quite used to be. But Adam will be down there uh, for the better part of a week. You can find his coverage at knoxnews.com. Of course, you can support his coverage by subscribing. John and I will have the commentary, and uh, there's still plenty of time to discuss this game. We'll try to get in a little more conversation about this uh, matchup between Tennessee and Clemson right here on the Volunteer State. For now, thanks for listening.